Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on the Dan's Talks podcast is Ivan Wilzig, who is one of the more prominent people in the Hamptons, who is currently not in the Hamptons. I'm talking to him from another venue far away, but we'll talk about his coming out here. Uh, He built a castle and uh, lives in there, I guess, in the summer. And um, it's quite something, and he holds probably the most wonderful party, I guess, once a year. You've been doing it now for a very long time, maybe 15, 20 years. I, uh, I went to some of the early ones. I'm old enough to be your father, so I got to be 60 when you're 40. So I, had, I very much enjoyed it. I don't know if it changed a whole lot. But I wanted to start by asking you uh, how you chose to come out to the Hamptons and why build a castle. Well, that I have a very unique story. I always tell people that I think I'm the first person from New Jersey to discover the Hamptons. Well, you know, I'm, I am. It was forty uh, over over fifty years ago. I was just in. I was in college. And because I had college friends from Long Island, I grew up in New Jersey. I, I had college friends from Long Island. And I asked you where you spend your summers. And they said, uh, the Hamptons. And I was like, what's the Hamptons? Where's the Hamptons? What's that all about? So uh, they told me, I said, okay. So I took a friend of mine. I think we were maybe even seniors in high school, maybe not even college. I borrowed my mother's beat up Delta 88. We headed out to the Hamptons, not knowing a thing about it. We wound up uh, at the time West Hampton was the hot spot, both for clubbing and for and for the beach for singles. So, but we had no idea, so we decided to, to explore it all in one weekend. So we drove from West Hampton to Montauk, stopped at every single town, village, inlet along the way, checked every single beach along the way. At night, we did the reverse. One of the other person would drive. We went back and wanted to see what the nightlife was like because we didn't know where the hotspot was. We went to every single nightclub from Montauk backwards to West Hampton. So meanwhile, we had taken our luggage and deposited it all in uh, and checked into a motel or hotel in, in, in Amagansett. And so that was quite a, once we discovered that West Hampton was the place not only for Morgan's Beach on Dune Road, but for Marrakesh, the legendary nightclub, we wound up driving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth from Amagansett to West Hampton one time during the day to go to the beach and then again to, to change in Amagansett and go back at night to dance. So it was quite something. When I say that, I think we were the first from New Jersey because the entire weekend, I never saw another license plate from New Jersey. And being novices and curious about how the rich and famous live, we wanted to see some of these giant homes behind the hedges uh, that you couldn't even see from the street. So we pretended we were pretended we got lost, and we would drive all, 
all the way down somebody else's driveway through the gates to the front of the house and say, we're lost. You know how to get to the beach and you know how to get to town and you know how to get to this. And they'd say, yeah, yeah, make, make a left. You go around this set. And they would see the New Jersey plate and go, you're really lost. You, don't you know there's a beach? <laughs> the Jersey Shore is, is much closer to you than the Hamptons. I said, sure, I know. But we, we want to see what the Hamptons is like. You fell in love with the place. Oh, yeah. Fell in love with it. Never went back to the Jersey Shore ever again. So uh, now I've been, yeah. Fast forward to when you bought the property and decided to build a castle complete with drawbridge, I think, and uh, moat and dragons and gargoyles and griffins and uh, even a dungeon. Yeah, everything, everything a, a real castle in Europe has. And it's high on a hill and it's surrounded by woods, I think. Oh, it's the only it's the only place in the entire Hamptons that's above sea level. That part of Watermill uh, Watermill is 500 uh, feet above sea level. And it's the only spot where you're looking down at the water instead of straight across farmland or a flat beach. So it's spectacular. The sunsets there are out of this world. On uh, Deerfield Road and Watermill, but you can't see it from the street. But uh, then you started having this annual party where you invited everybody. Well, yes, it was, it was, uh, it was either uh, to celebrate one thing, another, or both things. It was either to celebrate my new single that came out uh, because I'm a recording artist, I make dance music, my first music, uh, music, uh, my new music video that came out, uh, a television, a reality show that I was on called Who Wants to Be a Superhero that Stan Lee produced, uh, a party to celebrate that, ep that episode in that season. And of course, uh, most importantly, the Peace Man Foundation, a private, charity that I established to look for uh, to battle hate crime and to look for uh, cures and treatments for PTSD. Since my late father was an Auschwitz survivor and I had 59 members of my family murdered by the Nazis, he, uh, they didn't even have that diagnosis, PTSD then, but he suffered headaches, migraines, uh, and night nightmares, and uh, in, spite, in spite of that, he overcame it. He had, a mild, uh, I guess, a mild case, you could say, because he lived to become one of the greatest businessmen in American history. I know so, uh, the, the, uh, the wonderful book called Unstoppable. And I want to talk about that in a couple of minutes, but I've come there when you wear a cape and a skin tight outfit and you sing and everybody loves it. Well, I, de well, I developed that character Peace Man uh, because I was wearing capes uh, after being a banker for 20 years working in uh, the family business. Once it was sold, I, and I became an artist and dancing and, uh, and, more, and was able to use more of my creative ability. Uh, my logo, my trademark, it all was Peace and Peace Man. So I had these couture capes designed, uh, silk capes with huge Swarovski rein, uh, peace signs on the back, and I became known as Peace Man. That's also the name of the foundation, and all my music is, uh, I carved this, a certain niche for myself, which was to recreate all the anti-war songs and the peace songs and the so social activist songs from the 60s, from the Woodstock days. Yep. And, and turn slow, iconic rock ballads into high energy dance records. Nobody had ever done it before. I started it with John Lennon's Imagine and it led to a 20 year career in the music business, recreating those peace songs that went with my charity, my foundation and, uh, and my music. All of them uh, hit the billboard charts, as I recall. All of them. 
made the, uh, one Billboard chart or another, and one of them went top 10. Which one was that, Imagine? No, it was Hare Krishna. <laughs> I took the, uh, the uh, most famous mantra in the world that every yoga enthusiast has heard of and knows, or people that study transcendental meditation and the like, and I rewrote the words. I took a religious Hindu song, a prayer, probably, and I, I, I rewrote the words because I'm also a songwriter besides a singer. And I changed the words to be not about Krishna and God and the light and love, uh, but, but, but more about universal love and brotherhood. And used the, in the video, too, I, I took a, an entire Hare Krishna temple in Coconut Grove in, uh, in Florida here. And they came, the children, the parents, the grandchildren, the entire community came to be in my video. We filmed it in a hair salon that looked like we were in India, that we were in a temple, an, Indi an Indian temple instead of a beauty parlor. And, uh, and it was just perfect. And we had sitar playing. Uh, it was a fusion. What made that song my biggest hit is that it was a fusion of Eastern music and Western music. We had the electronic uh, drum programming that you need to make a dance track. And we had the sitar and the harmoniums uh, from the Eastern part of the world to create the fusion of Eastern, uh, authentic Eastern music played with instruments and musicians and DJs doing their magic uh, with electronics, with synthesizers and things like that. And the combination uh, became a big hit. People love it. Hundreds of people come to your parties. It's a wonderful thing. Several parties have had over a thousand people in attendance. Uh, talk about how your dad came over to this country uh, on, on the, in the book, which has become a bestseller uh, in, in its category. Um, there's a picture of him in, on the ship in front of the Statue of Liberty. And yes, he's yes, yes. I have uh, good news since the time uh, that I saw you last summer. <laughs> Unstoppable was not only uh, number one in Amazon under the Jewish biography category, but most recently, just now before year end, was declared by PWC, the uh, new uh, logo for Price Waterhouse. They declared it the best business book of the year. Well, it's quite a story. Uh, he was. So it's not just. It's not just a Holocaust memoir. Unstoppable is the ultimate immigrant tale, and it shows how you can overcome adversity and trauma, no matter uh, what what hand you've been dealt and what misfortune uh, you've 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 gone through in life. This book gives hope and is therapeutic for anyone who reads it. There's a particular section of that that I've read that I thought you would ask you about where. He had come here with about 10 cents or $20 in his pocket, surviving Auschwitz uh, by hook and by crook, however he could. And then he became, uh, started working down in the Lower East Side and became a banker and became a enormously successful one with many branches. And there was a particular part of the story that I remember about him uh, facing off against the regulators who are going to prevent him from something and rolling up his sleeve. And I wondered if you could tell that part. Well, just after facing uh, 
after Forbes magazine wrote about my father and the battle that he fought against the Federal Reserve, he was the first person in history to sue the Federal Reserve because they came up with a, a law at the time, which is no longer law. He was just, my father was just ahead of his time, like uh, other companies were. And they wanted to separate, it was called the Bank Holding Company Act. And they wanted to separate banks, commercial banks from all other forms of commerce. So since he was, since he, after uh, an amazing life of going from shoveling snow and being a traveling salesman and working in Brooklyn sweatshops and becoming a traveling salesman, like Benny Lohman in Death of a Salesman, uh, he then invested in the stock market and eventually took over two of the most traditionally anti-Semitic businesses in America, uh, certainly still in the 60s and early 70s. And that was commercial banking and oil and gas production. And he became president uh, after waging two proxy fights. He became president, chairman, uh, chairman of the board and CEO of a New York Stock Exchange listed oil, oil and gas producing company called Wilshire Oil Company of Texas. And then they took over the Trust Company of New Jersey, a full service commercial bank headquartered in Jersey City. And he grew that bank into a multi-billion uh, dollar institution, which was eventually sold one year after his death to North Fork Bank in Long Island that everybody knows there. We sold to North Fork, North Fork, and then two years later sold to Capital One, and that's how we got out of the banking business. But there was this one time when he said that he was gonna, he sued them, and he went to visit uh, one of the executives at the Federal Reserve. What scene you're talking about, he rolls up his sleeve, he shows them the tattoo number and it says, Hitler didn't, Hitler didn't frighten me. The Federal Reserve is nothing compared to you, to, to what I faced. I'm going to take you to court. And that's what he did. All the way to the Supreme Court. Um, talk a bit. Um, the case uh, is still used. Any law student in America who's going for a law degree, and when they want to study the bank holding history of the Bank Holding Company Act, they'll see Wilshire, Wilshire Oil versus the Federal Reserve. It's still used as the classic case. Textbook case. Walk us through the castle a little bit. Tell us the different rooms. Well, uh, the, the guest rooms are all themed. We have an Egyptian one where you feel like you're in Pharaoh's tomb or Cleopatra's uh, tomb. Uh, we have a Roman room with uh, uh, mythical creatures and uh, urns and, and columns, distressed columns looking like uh, ancient Rome. We have a, uh, an Asian room, a, uh, a Balinese room, a, a Moroccan loft, and the rest of the castle is all done medieval style. Knights in shining armor, shields, and the like. And, uh, uh, and a dungeon. And a dungeon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know my son, David. He, uh, you've taken the tour with him. Yes. The, uh, and everything uh, to give it that royal flavor, the tennis court, the volleyball court, and the basketball court, nets and rims and lines, everything's done in gold. And then the, the party area is a courtyard with a beautiful fountain in the center, as I recall. Well, it's a sculpture. It's a, uh, a sculpture of my ex-girlfriend, who's still my best friend. And it shows her morphing from a beautiful naked woman into a dragon. It's oh. one of a kind. It's the only one in the world. Uh, and a local artist, uh, Rob, Robbie Braun, is the one who uh, who created it. I was lucky to find him because he had a special, he had 
two specialties. I really lucked out with him. He had designed, uh, and if you go into the, uh, a, a natural, any natural history museum in the world, they'll show how cavemen and Cro-Magnon men became Magnon men, became Neanderthal men, and they show him going from an ape and, uh, uh, and standing upright and then getting hairy and becoming human. So he was good at tr showing transformations from ape to human, the history of mankind, evolution. evolution. And he was also specialized in, nude, in nudes. So I found the perfect guy because here I was, I wanted the, uh, to do a transition from nude to dragon. And you see the details. I mean, it's, it's like watching an, uh, an, an, the X-Men, the, the uh, alien uh, uh, movies where you see them morph and gradually change from a, uh, from a human into uh, some sort of alien type person. And in, in this case, you see the most soft, delicate, feminine hands becoming scaled and more reptilian and more dinosaur, uh, uh, more uh, dragon-like. So it's just a spectacular piece of art that everyone, everyone lo loves and, admire and admires. How tall is it? It's, it's life-size. Every oh. inch of her body was covered with plaster, section by section, to create it. To create it. It's got a, and it has, the, of course, the dragon wings give it a huge wingspan. But it sits front and center in the castle, my favorite part of the castle, because it uh, it ties it all together. Yep. Both both beauty and medieval style. Uh, do you have what are your plans uh, for the future? Do you have any other ideas you might bring to the to the Hamptons? Uh, well, one of the things, uh, uh, well, for, for my future is taking that book, Unstoppable, and I've just begun the process of having a a pilot and series Bible written so we can bring it to television and have the whole world stream it and watch it. So I've just begun that, that process and that's what I'm most involved in very at the very moment work-wise and continuing uh, to get the book read in every country in the world like the Diary of Anne Frank was. So far, uh, I have Russia, China, and Romania that have licensed the book, translated it into their native languages and be sold in their bookstores in those countries. And I won't rest until every country in the world has, has unstoppable in their hands and translated into their native language. Well, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. These things last about 20 minutes and we could talk a lot more about different things, but uh, the time is up. You're out there in, um, which part of Florida are you in? Where are you? Miami Beach, the particular part is called South Beach. And you'll be coming back up here uh, in April? May. Yeah, yeah, May, in time, in time for the season. Well, I'm talking to Ivan Wilzig, Sir Ivan, as he is as his alter ego, I guess is fair to say. And uh, thank you very much for coming and being on the podcast with me. Appreciate it, great, appreciate it greatly and look forward to seeing you this summer. You see me, I'll be there. Bye. Thank you. Thank you very much.